Why do bad things happen to good people? Perhaps to understand the answer to that question requires the perspective of time. Did you finally realize your dream of having a family only to have your happily ever after turn into a nightmare? Do you find yourself up late at night wondering why nothing you try as a parent is working? Are you searching for adoption resources and a support team but can't find any? Hi neighbor, welcome to Anchors of Encouragement. I'm Tim Maudlin, husband, adoptive parent, Bible class teacher, and the persistent encourager. I too felt the joy of having a family of my own and I wished we could be like other adoptive families. I knew we were doing our best, but nothing seemed to work. And I kept asking myself, why is this happening to us? In Anchors of Encouragement, my mission is to throw adoptive parents a lifeline and be your anchor, to offer biblical mindset support and to provide stability when life gets unstable. If you're ready for real and raw talk that leads to peace beyond comprehension, so you not only survive but thrive in life's storms, this podcast is for you. Hope and healing are on the way. Hi, neighbor. Welcome to another episode of Anchors of Encouragement. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question that a lot of people have asked since the beginning of time. As I indicated in the opening, perhaps to understand the answer to that question requires the perspective of time. In my own life, I've asked that question. My wife and I for years struggled to start a family. We went through years of infertility, miscarriages, and it wasn't until we were able to finally adopt and go through the struggles of that process that we were blessed with two young boys. We thought our happily ever after had finally begun. Little did we know, as I've mentioned repeatedly on this show, we were going to be dealing with adoption trauma. And it left my wife and I asking questions like, why is this happening to us? We've gone through all these struggles to have a family. And now we are going through more struggles. Why is it happening to us? I'm not the only one who has asked that question. I've talked to other adoptive couples who have asked the same thing. Why us? We've struggled to have a family. And now that we have a family, things are still happening. Why? Why is this happening to us? I believe to answer that question requires the perspective of time. As I record this episode, I am 22 years since we first adopted. I have the perspective of time, and I'm still receiving tidbits or clues as to why things happened the way they did. I want to share a story with you using one of the anchors of this podcast, Biblical Guidance, in order to give you the hope and healing that you might not realize yet because you don't have the perspective of time to consider. But by giving you this story and sharing it with you, I believe it can help to give you perspective even when you don't have time yet on your side. I want to share the story of one of my favorite Bible characters. His name is Joseph. We read about him in the book of Genesis. We find out in chapter 30 where he's born. 
Joseph is the son of Jacob and Rachel. The main part of his story begins in chapter 37. I'll be sharing with you bits and pieces of this story from chapters 37 through the end of Genesis, chapter 50. There's not time to read each of these chapters in Joseph's life, but I will give you an overview, and I want to encourage you to take your own time and sit with these chapters and read them for yourselves. In Genesis 37, verse 2, this is the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. This is where we're really introduced to Joseph and we start to understand a lot about him. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons. He has 10 older brothers. And as we're introduced to him in this chapter, we find out that Joseph brings a bad report about his brothers to his dad. That didn't sit well with the brothers, as you can imagine. The other thing that didn't sit well with the brothers is the fact that Jacob, his dad, played favorites, and Joseph was his favorite. Joseph was the son of his beloved Rachel. She was his favorite wife. He had, uh, Jacob had sons from four different women, and because of that, you had a blended family that didn't get along too well. And it didn't help the fact that Jacob played favorites with Joseph. And through no fault of his own, here he finds himself being the envy of his other brothers. So much so that they hated him. Verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Well, things got a little more complicated in this chapter because Joseph dreamed two dreams. And I'm not going to read all of the, the text here. Again, I would encourage you to do that on your own time. But to uh, summarize these two dreams, Joseph's dreams depicted situations where the brothers and his dad would be bowing down to him. And his brothers, when they heard the dreams, it made them even more angry with him. Even dad got a little taken aback by it and said, what are you doing? What do these mean? To Jacob's credit, as verse 11 indicates to us, he kept this matter in his mind. He didn't forget about it. As we move on in the story, we find the brothers are in a different area feeding their flocks, and Jacob sends Joseph to check on them. We find out in verse 18 of chapter 37, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. I can't imagine the level of hatred that must have been there, that they would even consider killing their brother. But that's what they wanted to do. The oldest brother, Reuben, said, let's just throw him in a pit. And Reuben had an ulterior motive. He wanted to come back at a later time and rescue Joseph and take him back to his dad. So Joseph is thrown into this pit, and Reuben is away from the scene for a while. Well, while that's going on, there is a caravan of Ishmaelites coming, and they're on their way to Egypt. Then the brothers get the idea that rather than kill their brother, they will simply sell him to the Ishmaelites and be done with it. And that's what they do. They sell their brother into slavery. As this chapter ends, the brothers take Joseph's coat and tear it up and cover it with blood and take it to their father, who thinks that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. He's beside himself, and the brothers can't comfort him. 
Meanwhile, the Ishmaelites head on to Egypt, where they sell Joseph to an Egyptian named Potiphar. Potiphar is what we might consider today as the the head of Pharaoh's security detail. He is the chief officer for Pharaoh's security. That's who Joseph is sold to. The story of Joseph skips chapter 38 and continues into chapter 39, where we find Joseph is now working for Potiphar in his household. One thing I want you to notice as we look at this, it says in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. God had not forgotten Joseph. It might seem that way, but God had not forgotten him. The Lord was with Joseph. There's a reason I believe that he was with him, and I think that's going to be spelled out as we continue. There's a principle in play here. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I believe God was with Joseph because Joseph had not forgotten God. I think that's going to be spelled out as we continue. As Potiphar assessed the situation, he realized that things were going really well because of Joseph. Potiphar put Joseph second in command in his house. That's how powerful Joseph had become. Everything was going as well as could be expected with the situation Joseph found himself in, except Now Mrs. Potiphar is on the scene. Chapter 39, verse 6 indicates to us that Joseph was a handsome young man, and Mrs. Potiphar noticed. She made repeated advances toward Joseph, all of which he refused. As I said earlier, I believe Joseph had not forgotten God, because as he refused uh, Mrs. Potiphar's advances, in verse 9 he says, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's why I believe that God was with Joseph. Joseph had not forgotten him. One day, Joseph found himself in the house with Mrs. Potiphar. They were by themselves. And she makes another advance toward him. This time she grabs Joseph. And the only way he has to avoid sinning against God is to run. As he runs, his coat is left behind. Mrs. Potiphar is a woman scorned. And she is not happy. Rather than own up to her part in this, she lies about Joseph to her husband. And Potiphar is furious. He is so mad, he throws Joseph into prison. Through no fault of his own, Joseph finds himself in prison. But verse 21 of chapter 39 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Even though things were even worse than before, Joseph has not forgotten God. And God made him prosper in the prison. That didn't go unnoticed by the keeper of the prison. He saw that because of Joseph, things were going better for him. So Joseph was put second in command in the prison. Notice the pattern. He is now second in command in the prison. Chapter 40 begins by two individuals. They were officials of Pharaoh, his chief butler and chief baker. We aren't told what they did, but they did something to aggravate Pharaoh, made him so mad that he threw them into prison. And that's where they meet Joseph. Both of these individuals have a dream. There are two dreams. Remember, Joseph had two dreams in chapter 37. Joseph talks to both of these individuals, 
and proceeds to interpret their dreams. But he gives God the credit, because God is the one who can tell what the meanings of them are. To the chief butler, the interpretation is, you're going to get your job back. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position. Genesis 40 and verse 14, Joseph says to him, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I also have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Another translation says instead of stolen away, he was kidnapped. He tells the butler, I'm here for no fault of my own. Please remember me when you're restored to your position. Joseph also interprets the baker's dream, and it didn't go so well for the baker, because in three days he was executed. This chapter ends in verse 23, yet the chief butler, after he was restored to his position, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. Joseph is in prison for two full years, and then Pharaoh has two dreams. Again, there's a pattern here. Pharaoh has two dreams. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the dreams. I would encourage you to read those. But Pharaoh is looking for someone to interpret those dreams. And every one of his magicians are unsuccessful in saying what these dreams mean. Then the butler remembers the young man in prison who interpreted his dream. He says in verse 9 of chapter 41, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each dreamed a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. Pharaoh then calls for Joseph to be brought from the prison and Joseph changes and shaves and is brought before Pharaoh. This is Joseph's get-out-of-jail card. But what does he do? When Pharaoh says, Can you interpret dreams? Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I want you to think about this for a second. Here he is, talking to the most powerful man on earth. A man who worships multiple gods, who even considers himself to be a God. And Joseph says there's only one God who can do this. Joseph did not forget God, and the Lord did not forget him. With God's help, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. There were going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph then advises Pharaoh what to do to prepare for those years of famine. It's interesting in verse 32, he says, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Remember, there were two dreams. There were two dreams that Joseph had years before. There were two dreams that were had by the butler and the baker in prison. And now Pharaoh has two dreams. Pharaoh was impressed with Joseph's interpretation and Joseph's plan of action. So impressed that he promoted Joseph to second in command over all of Egypt. Joseph was second in command at Potiphar's house, second in command in the prison, 
Now he's second in command over all of Egypt. Joseph is given a wife, and he is blessed with two sons. And it's interesting because in verse 51 of chapter 41, it says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Finally, Joseph is starting to put his past behind him and starting to move forward in his life. I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. We remember from chapter 37 that Joseph was 17 when his story really began and his kidnapping took place. In chapter 41 and verse 46, Joseph is now 30 years old when he is before Pharaoh. He's had 13 years since his kidnapping, 13 years that he has suffered. We don't know for sure how long he was in Potiphar's house and how long he was in the prison, but it's been 13 years where he was really confined against his will. Even in Potiphar's house, he was still a slave, but it's been 13 years. After these 13 years, he's finally ready to move on with his life. But does he understand why this has happened to him? I don't believe so. Joseph then oversees the storage of all the abundance of grain that the seven years of prosperity brings. He stores it up in barns, so much so that when the seven years of famine begin, Egypt is able to feed their own people, but they're also able to feed other nations. That's where we find Jacob and his sons. Chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? He basically says, Go to Egypt, buy us grain so we don't starve to death. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse 9 is key. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. All those years earlier, he's remembering the dreams. There his brothers are bowing down before him. I believe it's at this point he's starting to understand why. Why everything happened the way it did. There is a back and forth that takes place between chapters 42 and 45 where the brothers buy grain, take it back to their dad, and then there's a a series of events that take place. Let's fast forward to chapter 45 because this is where Joseph is finally going to reveal his identity to his brothers. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Can you imagine the reunion here? Joseph is overcome with emotion. He has had the perspective of time. All those years of the frustration of being sold into slavery and the things that have transpired from that point until now just comes bursting out in tears. His brothers have to be just beside themselves. Here is young Joseph, who is now a man, who is now the second most powerful person in the world, and they're standing before him. Joseph says in verse 5, Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph is now 39 years old. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he appeared before Pharaoh. They have gone through the seven years of prosperity, and they are two years into the seven years of famine. Joseph is 39. It's been 22 years since his brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph has the perspective of time, to now understand why he suffered the things he did, why he went through the things he did. The story continues when the brothers go back and get their father. There is the reunion of Jacob and Joseph, and Jacob is able to live out the rest of his life in Egypt. Jacob lives another 17 years and dies at the age of 147. You can find this in Genesis 47 and verse 28. Joseph is now 56 years old. It's been 39 years since his brothers sold him into slavery. After Jacob dies, the brothers are worried. There's no one to protect them. Will their brother Joseph now seek vengeance? They go to him in chapter 50 and verse 17 and say, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph is beside himself. He has understood for several years now why things happened to him, but the brothers still don't get it. Joseph says in verse 19 of Genesis 50, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. All these years later, Joseph understood why he suffered the things he did. He suffered so he could save his family. What an amazing perspective that he had, who understands that he has been put in this position to be the savior of his family. Joseph lives out the rest of his days in Egypt and dies at the age of 110. With the story of Joseph, I hope you can see that one of the reasons or one of the possible reasons that people suffer is so that they can help others. That was certainly the case with Joseph. There are some other reasons 
that good people suffer. I would like to draw your attention to the book of Romans chapter 5. Let's just read a few verses there, beginning in verse 1, and we'll see some other reasons why people suffer. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I want you to notice here that tribulations or sufferings happen for a reason. They happen to produce perseverance or endurance or patience. Without that, without suffering, a person doesn't develop perseverance or patience. But not only perseverance they develop. Verse 4, they develop character. It builds character in a person to suffer. And not only that, a person also develops hope because of the suffering they go through. That was certainly the case with Joseph. He developed perseverance. All those years in Potiphar's house and in prison, he was developing perseverance. He was also developing his character. And he was also getting hope. I believe there's another reason why people suffer. First of all, they suffer to help others. Secondly, they suffer in order to help themselves, building perseverance, character, and hope. But there's another reason, and I believe that's why we have stories like the one of Joseph to look to. A favorite passage of mine is Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We can look to individuals like Joseph, and we can understand through their stories the purpose and plans of God, that he has things that he's doing that we don't understand and might never understand. But with the perspective of time, we can start to see, or we can start to possibly see, our place in God's plan. That's what happened to Joseph, and that's what can happen to each one of us. I know with our adoption plan, as I think back on it, we would not have gone through, or if we had not gone through the suffering and the pain of infertility and miscarriages, we would not have been blessed with the children that we did get through adoption. At the time we were going through the infertility and the miscarriages, that was not fun. It was a difficult time. But going through that made us appreciate the children we were blessed to receive through adoption. And then going through the difficulties we had in adoption, dealing with the adoption trauma. I'm still working through all that. I'm 22 years removed from our first adoption. But I'm starting to see some of the reasons why we suffered the way we did. And one of the reasons is this podcast. I would never, never have considered doing a podcast. But now I can see one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to provide hope and healing for other adoptive parents. Hope and healing when they can hear me share my story and the things we've gone through. Realizing that you need to stay the course.
things will work out. Let's get to the daily doable. This is simple, and I want to go back to the story of Joseph to understand this daily doable. When you're suffering, when you're struggling, when you're going through these difficult times, never, never, never forget God. Joseph didn't. And because he drew near to God, God drew near to him. It might seem like God forgets you, but he hasn't. He will remember you. He will deliver you. And hopefully in time, you will be able to understand why you've gone through what you went through. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you for joining me. I hope you've been encouraged by the story of Joseph and could look to your own life now and be patient with yourself. Give yourself some grace. And hopefully through the perspective of time, you will begin to understand why. Until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now. If this podcast has given you the courage and confidence to face storms in your life, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. Take a screenshot of this episode and share it in your Instagram stories and tag me at Tim Maudlin. You can also connect with me in my Facebook group, Anchors of Encouragement. So until next time, this is Tim encouraging you to do what you can now.